Section four of One by Crime. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. One by Crime by Frank Pinkerton. Chapter two, part two. I am not ungrateful, papa, for your kindness, but I will never forget the promise I gave Louise. My heart is not to be bought for gold. I gave it willingly to the man to whom you betrothed me. And, father, none of our family have ever acted dishonorably, so I am sure you will not be the first to break your word. Do not be too sure of that, Leonore. I am more than half inclined to make you accept Tanza and forget your vows were ever plighted to that pauper captain. You could not be so hard, knowing how my happiness is bound up in him. I will never, while Louise lives, give my hand to another. Thank you, Leonore, nor will Falcom let you. A deep voice broke in suddenly, and Louise, his face flushed with mingled pleasure and disgust, came toward her, followed by his bosom friend, Denis Sampaio, a young and rich noble. Leonor threw herself into his arms with a glad cry, while Don Garcia and Manuel, full of rage, stole away, leaving the lovers alone. My darling, then I heard truly when they said my own dear love was being forced to wed another. Thank heaven I left you at once. And came to you as your father seems inclined to listen to Manuel's suit, Louise said tenderly, bending to kiss the pale face. I am so glad you have come, Louise. I felt so lonely without you near me to give me hope and courage. My poor little one! But why these robes, Leonore? I thought it was a day of festival at the palace. I know, but I was determined during your absence to keep Tanza from paying me his odious attentions by putting on mourning. He could not fail to see where my thoughts were. Now you have returned, I will throw them aside and show them it is a time of rejoicing with me. Wait, Louise. With a tender smile, the young lover unclasped her slender form and let her glide slipped away. But not long did he wait. Soon the curtains were again lifted, and Leonor, radiant as a bright star in trailing robes of white and gold, diamonds flashing on her bare arms and round her delicate throat, came towards him. My queen, my own dear love, what should I do if they took you from me? Passionately pressing her hands to his lips. They will never do that, Louise. I am determined not to allow Tonza to win my father over to his way of thinking. Manuel Tonza watched the happy lovers with bitterest hate gnawing at his heart, deadly schemes against his fortunate rival flitting through his subtle brain. Late that night, when the weary guests were parting, Tonza stole noiselessly from the palace. And when he returned, in less than half an hour, his face wore an expression of fiendish triumph and delight. He was even polite to Louise, much to that young man's surprise, though he doubted the sincerity of Manuel's words. Happy and content, after a tender adieu to Leonor, the captain left the viceroy's palace to seek his own apartments. Not far had he gone, however, when a shadow stole silently behind him. And the next moment he felt himself suddenly grasped by powerful hands and flung to the ground. Almost stunned by the fall, he was yet able to see the dark face bending over him. From the shadows came another form, one he recognized. A gleaming poniard was placed in the assassin's hand, which descended ere he could break from that stronghold and was buried deep in his heart. Guiltily, two forms glided away in opposite directions. Leaving Louise, pale and cold, lying in a stream of blood, dead. It was still early when Leonor awoke. 
but in spite of the drowsiness overpowering her, she hastily arose, and calling her maids, bade them quickly arrange her toilette. I am restless, and cannot stay longer indoors. I wish to be out in the fresh air, she explained to Savitre, who entered soon after. Scarcely, however, had they arrived without the palace gates, than Denise Sampaio, his face pale and haggard, eyes full of fear and anguish, came hastily to her side. Dona Leonor, return to your father's house. I have something to tell you which I dare not breathe here. It is too horrible. Prepare yourself for a great shock, my poor child. I wish someone else had brought the awful tidings, he cried hoarsely. Leonor stood perfectly still, and her eyes grew wide, and her face blanched with awakened fear. Clasping her hands piteously together, she said, Tell me now, I am brave. I can bear anything. Is it Luis? Is he ill? In danger? Oh, Denise, for pity's sake, tell me. Denise took the trembling hands in his, and quietly bidding the others to follow, led her silently through the town, until they arrived at the house where Luis had taken rooms with his friend. Perhaps it is best you should see him. Poor Louise, how can I break the awful truth to you? Your betrothed, the man you loved, is dead, murdered by a cowardly hand on his way home from your father's palace. Leonor grew deathly pale. Dead, she repeated, clasping her hands despairingly to her throbbing brow. It cannot be true. My darling dead, murdered. My poor child, it is only too true. This morning he was found and brought home, stabbed through the heart. But who could have done it? Savitre asked in a low, hushed whisper. I wish I knew, but alas, that is a mystery. Leonor gazed helplessly from one to the other, then breaking from her friend's gentle hold, staggered forward. Where are you going, Leonor? Denise asked anxiously. To him, I must see for myself the terrible truth. Can you bear it? Yes, oh yes. Very tenderly, Denise took one of the trembling hands in his, and led her toward a darkened chamber where, on the blue-draped bed, lay the still form of his young friend. A convulsive shudder shook Leonor's slender frame as she gazed on those handsome features set in death's awful calm, the closed eyes, which would never look into her own again, the cold lips which would never breathe loving words into her ear, or press her brow in fond affection. She could not weep, as Savitre wept. Tears refused to ease the burning pain at her heart. Only a low moan broke from her as she threw herself suddenly over that loved body. My love, my darling, why did I ever let you leave me? How can I live without you? Hush, Leonore, come, you can do nothing here. But one thing I promise you, I will avenge his death at any cost. The murderer will be found and punished, no matter who it is, Denise cried earnestly. Thank you, and if I can aid, rely on my help, Leonore murmured bravely. Then, bending over reverently to press a last kiss on the pallid brow, she allowed Denise to lead her from the room to her own home. In the hall they were met by Don Garcia, in a terrible state of anxiety for his daughter. "'Where have you been, Leonore? What is the matter? You look ill, and what is that?' pointing to a vivid red stain which marred the white purity of her dress. A low, delirious laugh broke from the girl's pale lips, and stretching out her arms she waved Don Garcia back. "'Do not touch me!' she cried hoarsely. "'He, my love, my darling, is dead. See, his life-blood stains my hands, my robe. Oh, heavens, that I should have lived to no such agony!' She stopped, the outstretched arms fell inertly down, the graceful head drooped, 
and without one cry or moan Leonor fell heavily to the ground, unconscious. "'Explain, Savitr, Sampayo, what means this strange raving? Who is dead?' Don Garcia said, fearfully. "'It means that Luis Falcom was found murdered this morning. Your daughter went to see him for the last time, and returns, overcome with grief and sorrow.' Without a word, but very white, the viceroy carried his child to her room, and left her in the care of Savitr and her two attendants, while he went to find the particulars of Falcom's tragic end. For days and weeks Leonor kept to her rooms, seeing no one except her father and Sampayo, whom she looked upon as the avenger of Luis. Long and tenderly was her lover's memory sorrowed over, until the once beautiful girl was but a mere wraith. A few weeks later Don Garcia himself was taken ill, and one day, feeling slightly better, he sent for his daughter, to whom he wished to speak on important business. He was not kept long waiting. Leonor soon appeared, looking like a crushed flower in her sombre robes. "'You wish to see me, papa?' "'Yes, Leonor, but you can almost guess for what. You know how much I desire to see you wedded to my friend, a man who loves you and will make you happy. I shall not live long.' of that I feel sure. Manuel Tanza has waited patiently, and I think it is only right you give him hope. Today you will accept his hand, and in another week, with my consent, you will become his wife. Leonor reeled against the bed, and held firmly to the silken curtains to prevent herself falling. Do you mean this, father? His wife, when he murdered Louise? What nonsense are you saying, child? Do not let me hear you speak like this again." What motive could a wealthy man like Tonza have in getting rid of one of his own employees? Grief has turned your brain. Cast aside those weird garments, and in three hours be ready to receive your future husband. A low, gasping cry fell on his ears as he finished speaking, and he turned in time to see the slight figure sway to and fro, then fall heavily to the ground. But what use was her feeble strength against the two powerful wills of two determined men? Ere the day was over, Leonor, with a heart full of bitter, despairing grief for Louise, was bound by a sacred promise to a man whom she knew to be both bad and selfish, whom she hated. End of section 4